right, this is another fine day in the Lord as we come on the Son's Day to celebrate Him and His Word as we come to God's Word. We're going to get right into it. Today is our communion service. And so we're going to we're going to have our opening hymn. And it seems to me like I had something to say before we got started. Anybody got any profundities or or prayers that we need to be concerned with? Well, we're always concerned with prayer. Okay, let's open up this morning with uh, these are the days of Elijah. Let's stand and remain standing for the opening hymn or opening prayer. These are the days of Elijah. Declaring the word of the Lord. And these are the days of your servant Moses' righteousness. These are the days of great trial, of famine and darkness and sword. Still we are the voice in the desert crying. Shining like the sun at the trumpet call, lift your voice. It's a year of jubilee, and out of Zion's hill, salvation comes. And these are the days of Ezekiel, the dry bones becoming as flesh. And these are the days of your servant David building the temple of praise. And these are the days of the harvest. The fields are as white as the world. And we are the laborers in your Declaring the word of the Lord. Behold, he Riding on the clouds, shining like the sun, as the trumpet call, lift your voice, to year of jubilee, and out of Zion till salvation comes. There's no one like Jehovah, there's no one like Jehovah, there's no one like Jehovah, there's no one like Jehovah. There's no one like Jehovah. There's no one like Jehovah. Behold, He comes riding on the clouds, shining like the sun, like a trumpet call. Lift your voice to hear of Jubilee, and out of Zion till salvation comes. Oh, He Riding on the clouds, shining like the sun, at the trumpet call, lift your voice, the year of jubilee, out of Zion Hill, salvation comes, lift your voice, the year of jubilee, and out of Zion Hill, salvation comes. 
Father in heaven, we do lift up your holy name as we come together this day to fellowship in you and your word. Thank you for your word that comforts us, that guides us, that teaches us all things, all deep things of thee. Thank you for the Holy Spirit to teach us these things. And I pray this morning that the Spirit will guide the teacher as well as the listeners to proper discernment in these things we pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may take the seat. One mistake in it, I meant to just change the video all together and just put the words in there. It's not David building the temple. Who builds the temple? Um, Solomon. Solomon builds the temple. Why doesn't David build the temple? Because he was meant for battle. Thank you very much. Very good. Uh, he was a man of war. And um, Solomon, what does Solomon's name mean? What's in that word, Solomon? Peace. Peace, very good. Shalom. Very good. Very good. I'm proud of you. Uh, remember, we have at the end of, end of the month, I think it's the 27th, the uh, Great Amer- or the Great Upstate Bible Challenge. Remember, every every category has at least one place in where you'll you'll hit, and it'll give you the opportunity to challenge the host. So when when you hit that, then have a couple questions for each category from from Matthew 6 to 10. And so you hit that, then you get an opportunity to challenge the host. Alright, so we are moving into Hebrews chapter 8. And let me read 8 coming up to the, from, let's go from 1 to chapter, or 1 to 6. Now the main point in what has been said is this. We have such a high priest who has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister in the the sanctuary and in the true tabernacle which the Lord pitched, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. So it is necessary that the high priest also have some thing to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all since there are those who offer the gifts according to the law. Now serve, uh, who serve a copy and a shadow of heavenly things. Just as no, Moses was warned by God when he was about to erect a tabernacle for see, he says that you make all things according to the pattern which was shown you on the mountain. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry by as much as he is also a mediator of a better covenant which has been erected on the better promises. Everything, remember, gets better. The Lord, and I, I do not want to be misunderstood when I say that the law and that the the things that were consecrated for service to God were imperfect to the point that they were flawed. When I say imperfect, I do not mean flawed. I mean in the time in which they were used. 
at the time that God created them. They had special purpose. They were set apart for for God. And they were set apart for God's purposes. It's as Paul says that the law is good. And it is good. It is certainly a part of Scripture. And all Scripture is God-breathed and profitable for reproof, for correction, for uh, training in righteousness. And it's a part of Scripture. And when we when we talk about the Old Testament, we're actually talking about the Hebrew uh, Hebrew canon, and we can call it a, an Old Testament if we understand that testament means covenant, and we're looking back into the Old Covenant, and not mean, and it means that something is going to be done away with, and that that Old Testament, that, and not the book, not the it itself, but that Old Covenant, as the Jewish people in their mindset, they're, they're looking for a better covenant as a, a one to replace the old. So let's, let's begin this morning. It says now, first, verse one. Now the main point, and these, you almost could take a bunch of chapters and make one chapter out of it because it goes right on into the next chapter break. And remember that chapters are not, are not inspired. Chapter breaks are not inspired, but each each of these chapters can you could just take the numbers right out of them and just read right on through. Eight one. Now the main point and what has been said is this: what we've already been studying all the way through is this: we have such a high priest who has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of the Majesty and the heavens must be looked at in the view of what's going on in the tabernacle. We've studied the tabernacle before. Uh, okay, let's, let's, give, let's give this a shot. Give me my forward up. See if we can put this up here. Alright, let me slide it up here. Alright, it's already ready to go. Very good. Good job, Brady. Alright, remember our tabernacle. And the tabernacle and the, and the temple... All of this was the what was instituted and given instructions to Moses. Remember when we remember when we spoke uh, when we studied through uh, the first for the Old Testament with Chuck Messler. If you remember back, what Chuck said is that when Moses came down from the mountain, and he metaphorically said, "We don't read this in the Bible." He threw it in there. Not only did Moses bring down the tabernacle. But he brought uh, the the law, but he also brought down blueprints, the blueprints that God was going to construct, or that Moses was to construct a worship center, and that first worship center was the tabernacle, and the tabernacle was where was whether we're talking about the mobile one, or whether we're talking about the one built upon the foundation. It was a. It was to mirror the things that Moses saw in heaven. It was a model. It was a replica. And so were the worship, and so were the things that we find within the Old Testament, that were types or imageries to come. And remember, types and imageries were not were not uh, better than that which what it points to. 
Now the main point in what has been said is this, that we have a high priest who has taken a seat at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. In this tabernacle, and if you see one thing I've noticed over the uh, at one point, you have the east gate, right? That's where the entrance. How many doors? Well, how many doors to into the tabernacle? One. If you noticed, and where was the most holy place in this whole place? All the way in the west. All the way right here. All the way to a place that's called the Holy of Holies. It was a model of the throne room of heaven, but. A model or a replica, is that as good as being the throne room of heaven? No. No, absolutely not. But this is what they had, and it was to mirror heaven. It was mirrored to something to, to, that was to come. So when you come in through the gate, what do you have first of all? In, anybody? The altar for sacrifices. What's that? The Our offering. The place, uh, the brazen altar. And then you move, and then you move on forward from there. What you got then, Michael? That's the uh, basin. Basin, exactly. Then you've got the tent. You're going to enter into the into the door, and priests would come in constantly into this this next room. You got the tent. It's divided by both rooms, and within this tent you have three objects. Amanda, give me one of the objects. The table of bread. The table of showbread. How many loaves of bread on there? Seven. No. Twelve. Good guess on the first, but twelve. Why twelve? Uh, twelve tribes. Twelve tribes. Very good. And then give me another one, Beck. The um, the, the candle. Okay. Yes, to provide the light, the the uh, menorah. Lampstand. Uh, yeah, the lampstand. 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 Yes. What what do you call it? The light. The candles. Okay. The, <laughs> the lighting. Okay. Yeah. The lighting. Yeah. All right, uh, Grady, you remember that last one, okay? Wiley? Um, the altar of incense. The altar of incense, that's where the incense are poured on to, to, to picture that, uh, picture the prayers going up. Then you have a curtain, and on the other side of the curtain, Grady, tell me what's on the other side of that curtain. Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant. And now, here I'm going to give you a trick question here. The high priest, now, while priests come into this first part yearly or, or constantly, uh, and they've got work to do, how many times does a priest come go into, the per year, how many times does a priest go into the most holy place, the holy? The holy of holy. They don't. Once a year. Think again. I I said, I've taught it once a year, but it's really not. Yeah, I thought it was just for the Day of Atonement. It is just for the Day of Atonement. Is that twice a year? But they skipped. No. No, no. Oh, you said Holy Place or Holy The Holy 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 of Holies. How many times does a high priest go in the Holy Holies per year? It's kind of a trick question. There's something you have to think about. He goes in two times. Remember, he has to go in first. For you know, and give he has to give a a offering, blood offering for his own sin. Then he goes into a second time for the offering of the people. So per per year, the high priest actually goes in two times on that one day. If I say one day, then you're right. 
one day, but how many times did it go in? Two times. Okay? So, this, this is what they had. It was the best that they had, and this was a replica for the time, oh, okay, for the time in which it was, was there, it was good. For the time that they used it, it was holy, it was sanctified, it was set apart. And to mishandle the, 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 to mishandle this, there would be repercussions. There would be, we, we know that, um, Abinadab had a son who, who actually took a snuck a, a look inside the, the ark. He died. There was the, or, there was the, um, what was that? I mean, I don't know if that Abinadab. No, no, the men who looked, uh, the son of Abinadab was the one who tried to balance the, the ark when it was getting ready to fall. And he meant well. If he didn't, somebody didn't do something, that ark was going to fall off that cart. wasn't supposed to be anywhere. But he touched it, and he died. The Philistines, when they had it in their possessions, and um, they got a chronic case, all of them got a chronic case of hemorrhoids, and they had to get rid of it. So there, the point is that there was serious repercussions. Now, if today you found you found an ark. Maybe at a yard sale or something. I'd be nervous. <laughs> but, but yet, the usefulness has passed. Something new has come. That which it was used for, that which it was set aside for, those things are no longer happen. Why? Because our, because the Lord Jesus Christ has left this earth. He, he has come. He has accomplished His work. And now he's at the right hand of the Father as our priest in heaven. At the better, at the better tabernacle. Alright, give me back my board there. Alright, so back to one. Now the main point in what has been said is this, that we have such a high priest, a better high priest, who has taken a seat at the right hand of the throne of majesty in the heavens. Uh, Grady, give me Hebrews 2.17 and 18. Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things, so that he might be become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation, propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in that which he had suffered, he is able to be... He is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. What does propitiation mean? Satisfied. Satisfied. That God the Father is satisfied with the offering that Jesus Christ, our high priest, makes. Okay, give me four give me four fourteen there, Wiley. Four fourteen. Hebrews four fourteen and to sixteen. All right. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, 
but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Very good. Alright, when we, when we generally, well, generally when we think about Christ's work, we say that His ministry began when? Well, normally we say uh, after He had been baptized. Yes, at the point of His baptism, that's when His earthly ministry actually began. And then, I throw out another trick question, when did His ministry end? Usually when after He, the last that He descended into heaven. It hasn't. It, yeah, it I don't know. That's, okay, yeah. elaborate. Then we usually okay. want to say on earth and, when well, he was present. Going back over to Mike, why, why hasn't it had? Why hasn't it ended? What's what's going on? In the church, the church to go out and is that the correct answer? Church body, yes. And that, and that's what I've taught too. That's where I've I've taken it is that the ministry here on earth continues. And is it through the Holy Spirit that the ministry continues? Yes. Yes, through us. But in here, his ministry actually continues in heaven. When he said, when it's finished, his work on earth had been accomplished. He said, okay, salvation, the work of salvation has been accomplished. But his work was not yet complete. Now, he, I I think this is neat that, um, he, 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 when we, well, first of all, when we, when we're taught, when we have a mindset, we talk, think about our salvation as Jesus died on the cross for our sins, being buried, and raised, and he raises again. Amen. Hallelujah. Okay, but we don't take it far enough. There's the next, there's the next phase. And the fact that he ascends into heaven. As a matter of fact, when he's there at the when he's there and he meets Mary, and Mary's thinking he's a gardener, he says, and I, I'm still not sure of this, but when he's when she holds on to him, she says, Hey, let go, you know, hey, listen, uh, I have not yet ascended or or been glorified. What does the priest do? You see, it wasn't enough that the lamb Blood is shed. What else had to happen after the blood, after the lamb's blood is shed during the Passover, or during? Uh, let's go to Yom Kippur during the Day of Atonement. When the when the lamb's blood, when the when the sacrifice, when the when there was a sacrifice and there's blood, what happens next? Well, over the Passover, they put it over the. Door. Yeah. So the blood had to be applied. Yeah. Very good. The blood had to be applied in the Passover. Wasn't enough for the lamb's blood to be shed. It had to be applied on the the top and on the sides of the door. On Yom Kippur, on the Day of Atonement, what happens to the blood? It is taken in to the Holy of Holies that one day and sprinkled onto that. It had to be applied. There was, we generally think of the, the death, 
and the resurrection as it, but we and concept of that that sacrifice, that sacrifice, that blood had to be taken into the holy of holies. But Jesus did not go. the The veil was ripped. Jesus did not go into the the holy of holies made with hands. He went through the veil of heaven. This veil represents the heavenlies. He passes through that. He goes to the real, the authentic, the the real holy of holies, not a representation, but the holy of holies where where Jesus, where God the Father is satisfied. I'm satisfied because we still haven't got to Hebrews chapter ten yet. In Hebrews chapter ten, it said, "The blood of bulls and goats." I have, I pretty much I've rejected. I, I they didn't satisfy my justice, but it was the Lord, our, our Lord Jesus Christ, in that perfect body. And today is our communion service, and this, these are things that we're going to be thinking about today. But it was the blood of Christ that Jesus was satisfied when Jesus said, it is finished. The work of salvation was complete. He didn't take the blood into the Holy of Holies that was made with hands in the temple. He went straight, he went through, he, he went through the heavens, which is looking like, the, which is representative of the curtain, the curtain that divides the, 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 divides the holy place from the holy of holies. He went through that curtain to, to deliver that blood. And in that time that Jesus was here at 40 days, he may have had a number of trips to heaven. But he had the initial one. I think he had initial one to go through heaven and to, and to um, however he did it was to, to deliver the, the to present himself as the sacrifice in there. So, alright, moving on. Question? Yes sir, question. So, just for clarity. Um, so the Holy of Holies was where the presence of God was represented, yes. Okay, represented. And and therefore the the, the the cleansing and sanctifying of the high priest, I mean he was extra cautious. <laughs> he was yes, he was extra but, cautious. But at the point so he was going in and, and, mm-hmm. and applying the blood. Right. And at the point where Jesus ascended into heaven. No. Prior to prior to his ascension, but when you say he went to the, the throne room mm-hmm. in the third so when the veil was torn, in a sense the presence of God's no longer there, but that that's no longer needed either. That was the end of That the, was the end of that was the ultimate sacrifice, so that was yes. done away with. So um, Yes. Your question? Is that it? I think that's it. Is that it? it. And this is the picture. Whether we're talking about that in that in that holy of holies, whether we're talking about the priesthood, the need for the priesthood, whether we're talking about um, the holy days, all of that was a picture. It was Paul says in Galatians that it's a tutor. It teaches us, and um, and once that is. Once the real, once the authentic, the authentic comes, it's like let me let me paint like a picture. 
a painting. You have you have the real painting. Let's say you have a Mozart, and then you have a copy of the Mozart. It may be the best copy that can be made. Which one's more valuable? The painting. The painting itself, the original, the authentic. The Holy of Holies uh, is authentic in heaven. Again, I say don't. We don't dismiss what we've learned from the rituals. We don't dismiss what the Ark of the Covenant teaches us or the tabernacle. But those rituals are done. So the priesthood has been done away with. Something better has come. So let's go back to one so I can move on here. Does that answer your question, by the way? Or to to degree? Okay, it gives you a... Alright, now the main point in what has been said is this, that we have a such a high priest has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. Understand that priests did not hang around. Priests went in, they gave the blood, and they got out. <laughs> that was it. They went in, they went in, they, and then they had to do it the following year again, in the following year. And this, Jesus continues his work in the Holy of Holies. Making, uh, making intercession for us and being our mediator. Verse number two, Hebrews eight two. A minister in the sanctuary and in the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched. Everybody, what is that next two words? Not man. Not man. Okay, let's. Move on. Beck, I'll give you Hebrews 9.11. Hebrews 9.11. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of the creation. Alright, that's where I want. And, uh, man, how about number, how about saying chapter 9, 24? For Christ did not enter a holy place made with hands, a mere copy of the true one, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Okay, Amanda, where is the true tabernacle? In heaven. In heaven. Um, was there ever a time when the true tabernacle was not in heaven? No. Always in heaven. And again, these things that we see that are just copies. This is what the writer is saying. These things are copies. These things are replicas. The uh, something better to come. Jesus is the better priest and he's serving now, to this day, at this very time, at the perfect tabernacle. So the minister in the sanctuary and in the true tabernacle which the Lord pitched, not man. And so all that, so everything that came down, everything that Moses did and he constructed, he had to, in Exodus, it goes into detail of how this how it was constructed. Perfect detail. It had to be perfect. In the sense that uh, it was the replica. And it was what God ordained. It was what God established for the benefit of man to, to come to understand 
And but he did not make it perfect in a sense that it wasn't a perfect in a sense that it wasn't heaven itself. It wasn't the authentic heaven. It wasn't that which was in heaven. Verse number three. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. So it is necessary that this high priest also had something to offer. Who's the high priest? Who is this high priest? Jesus. Jesus, exactly. He is our high priest. And again, I want to bring you back to the point. Often we think of his death, his burial, his resurrection, and that's it. But we also have to think of his ascension ascension into heaven. He is now at the right hand of the Father. He is in the true tabernacle, and he's still at work. He's not there with his feet up on the... uh, He's not in a lazy boy. He's not got his feet propped up, and he's just waiting. He's working now on our behalf in heaven. Let me ask you a question. It passed through my mind, and I don't want to get on a rabbit trail on this, but it did pass my mind. If Jesus is working day uh, 24-7, if He's working constantly in heaven on our behalf, on the behalf of the saints, what should we be doing? We should be working as well. And that's what and that's what it's all about. We have been created for good works, says Paul in Ephesians, that we were created for good works, that we should walk in them. It is not that we're just sitting around waiting to go home to heaven with, with the Lord any more than He is waiting in heaven to come meet us. But there is service. And a part of our service is preparation. God uses prepared people. That means that we're in His Word. That means that we have a ministry of prayer. No, we don't have a gift of prayer. We have a ministry of prayer. We're all praying for the saints. We're all praying for and thanksgiving. We're all lift, uh, and the, that altar of incense. Our prayers are going on and they're being lifted up to God. We are light of this world. We are, we are spreading the gospel. So there's work for us to do. And we should be mindful every day that we wake up that we are, that our, first of all, motivated by the one who's working daily for us in heaven. We're motivated by that, uh, by that, that we are participating also in the work. That's, give me the Greek word for that as partners. What is that? Anybody remember that? Pericletos. No, Pericletos is stand beside. That's what we use for the Holy Spirit. Love the word. Love the meaning of the word. It is metakoi. That we are partners with the Lord in His work. And so He's ministering in the sanctuary. That is, He's offering service to us in the sanctuary and the true tabernacle which the Lord pitched, not man. So this is the better tabernacle. He is the better priest serving in the better, better tabernacle. And we got the number three for every high priest is appointed to offer gifts. So, what, what, what did the priest, what did the high priest bring into the Holy of Holies? Blood. Blood. That's right. And it, it was what was prescribed to do. And then he would leave. Then he would do that the next year. 
So there would be gift. Now when Jesus Christ, who was the propitiation for sin, when he hung upon the cross, he didn't bring, he didn't have anything to bring. He was stripped naked. He hung and died naked on the cross. What offering does he bring into the Holy of Holies? Himself. Himself. He is, he is that offering. He is that offering that he makes. How do we know that? What, what do we find in the Bible to know that he is the offering? I am the lamb. I'm going to go with the lamb right there. And we hear, uh, we see that often in Revelation. The lamb of God. The lamb of God. The, the lamb. He breaks the seals. The lamb. And when you see the lamb, you get, you can look at the lamb of God as being our lamb. Our lamb who is representing us in heaven. Our, our sacrifice in heaven. And so he gives himself up uh, for a propitiation of sin. Once again, what does propitiation mean? Satisfied. What's that? Satisfied. Satisfied, exactly. When we look at these things, when we look at the tabernacle, when we look at these things, when we look at the altar... Don't think it in religious terms. Don't think of heaven and and the and the things and the things that we see in heaven. Think of this as a jurisprudence. I guess I'm saying uh, saying the word right, but a judicial thing where you have a judge, where you have an attorney, where you have uh, attorneys and. You have the defense, you have the prosecution. Look at it in those terms. And isn't it funny that all governments throughout the world, throughout history, up until now, bad governments as well as good governments, had a system of jurisprudence that you, that the, essentially, now it may not be a good system, it may be a corrupt system, but nonetheless, they stand in the sense that you break the law, you have to go to court, right? This is not just in the United States, but this is even in Muslim countries. You break the law, you go to court. You have to stand before the judge. So look at this in that light. That when we got, uh, that it's not just about religion, but it's about what do we do being lawbreakers. Having Sinned against God. What do we do? Because we are guilty before we are guilty before God. And wages of sin is what? Death. Death. So we have to stand before God as guilty sinners. And we need representation. We need and uh, we need a, someone who represents us. We just don't go before Almighty God as guilty sinners. What do we have to offer? Nothing. We're guilty. Who's going to stand before us? Who's going to stand in our place? Jesus. Go ahead. Jesus. Our Lord Jesus Christ. And He is, and it was the, the blood that gave at, throughout the history, throughout the biblical history, uh, prior to His death, His burial, His resurrection, His ascension. It was the blood of Christ. It was, it was the blood of the Lamb, the animal which gave us only a temporary covering. It wasn't enough to satisfy the righteous demand of the judge. So it took a dove, just like Adam and Eve tried to fig leaves. Just like the fig leaves, exactly. It took the 
covering of a death of of, um, of a life. It it took a life, life for a life, and that and still the lamb and the those animals that died. They weren't enough to satisfy God's righteous demand. But the work picture. of the work, yeah, just a picture, and it was the life of Christ, who died, who went to heaven, who, um, and now, so while he's in heaven, while he's still in heaven, when the accuser comes, an accuser is making accusations, just like he did with Job, and he and he's making accusations and. He, he's accusing, and that's the devil, what the devil do. And the de- devil accuses Michael of some sin. And, My- and Michael may have, Michael, yeah, Michael is, is out of line, uh, which is usually that figure too. <laughs> this, is, this is an example. He's out, he's out of line, he's been out of line, he, I mean, he's, and the, the devil comes and he, he accuses, he says, he says, uh, "Yeah, this man is a sinner. He is. He's done A, B, C, and D. He, he's not worthy. He's uh, he has sinned against you. He is. He's cursed you to your face. He has fallen out. He, he, and what does the Lord do? He's the attorney, and he goes to God the Father. So the the accuser makes his accusation, and then." You have an attorney. Your attorney is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ stands up. He says, "Michael, I've got this." And he goes, "He goes, yeah." He goes, "Yes, he has sinned." He goes, "But what happened on the cross?" See, Michael's sin and your sins have already been represented upon the cross. Can you go and can you be tried for the same crime two times? That's called double jeopardy. It doesn't happen. You've been acquitted of that crime. You've already been acquitted for your crimes, Michael. As all of us have been acquitted for our crimes. And so Jesus said, "Is it's already those sins have already been judged." He speaks up for us. He's the Lamb of God. Okay, Exhibit A: the scars in his hands. The scar, the the hole in his side, the scars in his feet, is Exhibit A. He took them for you, and the case is thrown out. There are those that, and there are those. Listen, this is so important, and this throws out Calvinism. This dismisses Calvinism as being that which. We have yes, there are those that are the Calvinists do not want to to claim that well that you can go about and do and live the way you want and still be a Christian. If you are if you continue on being being if you continue on in your sin or if you fall away if you fall away as in Hebrews chapter six this doesn't this is what this is what we've already discussed. Hebrews chapter 6 is not what it means. But if you are true, if you are a true child of God, you cannot lose that salvation. 
You still have an exercise of your free will. Doesn't mean that you will not be disciplined by God in a discipline which I would not want to receive. But because of what Jesus is doing in heaven as being our Lamb of God, it's finished. Telelesi. He's representing you day and night. And you cannot lose your so great salvation. He's constantly making intercession for you. And our Christian life is a response to that. Is a response to knowing that Jesus Christ and His work for us on our behalf. Hebrews chapter 8 verse 4. Now, if He was on, were on earth, He would not he would not be a priest at all, since there are those who offer gifts according to the law. The Tim asked a question. I didn't know the answer, and I didn't didn't look for the answer until after he asked. Thanks for the question, Tim. But when was this book written? Sixty-four. Uh, they say around sixty-four A.D., about three years prior to the destruction of the temple. The temple was still in operation, which means the priesthood was still in operation. They were still bringing their sacrifices. They were still um, going through the Levitical offerings and all that. Uh, If Jesus was not in heaven and he was still on earth, according to the law, they would still be practicing the, the... they would still be practicing the law, in a sense. The, if Jesus was not in heaven, let's put it this way. If Jesus was not in heaven, then those who have, those Jews that have rejected Judaism, who's representing them? Because all the way up until Jesus died, buried, resurrected, and ascended into heaven, it was the Christ, it was the priests who were representing Jesus. Uh, I'm sorry. It was they were representing the people. Now that Jesus went to heaven, now he is a representative, no longer a priest. Think about this for a moment. You're no longer you're no uh, there's no longer a tabernacle. There's no longer the rituals. There's no longer the holy days. There's no longer the legalistic system of Judaism. My question is, well, maybe all of our question is, why is there still priests in this world today? Why is it that we are still calling, let's just say, calling the church the house of God or the place that we worship the sanctuary when all these things were equated to the things that are in heaven and not on earth I thought it was I thought that was just a question anyway verse 5 who serve a copy a shadow of heavenly things just as Moses was warned by God when he was about to erect the tabernacle. 
For see, he says, that you make all these things according to the pattern which was shown, shown you on the mountain. And, and we've talked about that, that he had, he had to make the, the tabernacle. He had to make the tabernacle precisely what he saw, what he had witnessed on the mountain. He actually saw these things. He actually saw, uh, he, it was actually Moses, take a look at this. This is what you're going to build on earth. This, and you're going to build it to specifications. Exactly what you see here. Okay, so we're going to see this holy place, all of us, one day. Verse 6, But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry, by as much as he is also a mediator of a better covenant. Okay, what's a mediator? Someone who brings two people together. Very good, very good. Mediator is one who brings two people together. Let me, give me my board, son. Okay, got this. Are we up there? Might have to bring it out a little bit. All right. So, the mediator. First of all, reconciliation. Give me a definition of reconciliation. Reconciliation is bringing two parties together in dispute, or bringing two parties bringing two parties in dispute. Okay. Back together. Say again. Bringing two parties in dispute back together. Back together. Yes. So you got party on the first part. Which is man. You got party of the second part. Let's just let's just write God there. It's God. All right. Sin, sin drove a wedge between the relationship God created man to have a and to have a relationship with man. That was it. man's natural habitat was in his in relationship with God. But when man sinned, it created a chasm. Sometimes we look at the barrier, that there is a barrier between God and man. And no way that man can do to cross that. And so reconciliation is, is the effort of bring, is the process of bringing two parties in dispute. God, who is perfect righteousness, cannot have relationship with man no matter how good he is. No matter how moral he is. No matter, no matter how honorable he is. He is at best negative R. Negative righteousness. He has no righteousness that is compatible with what God is. So, man stinks. To God in his righteousness, man stinks. He can't stand to be... His righteousness cannot stand to even have a relationship with you. It's, you're gross. You know, there's things that, that defile your, your sensitivity, right? There's, there's things that you see that are gross and you just, you gotta wince up. You don't like it and you wanna be away from it. That's, uh, my, my pastor used to use a skunk. And I love his analogy because he had a dog that he loved. I forget what, what he called the dog. I would think about it. We might remember. But he was at a friend's house. I think it was Dr. Um, Dabajan's house. And 
He had his dog. Well, his dog got tangled up with a skunk and got sprayed with this this skunk. And well, guess what? You know the dog. You know, so the dog now is rejected, not completely, but he cannot come into the house no more. He, he is. He, uh, he is just. He he uh, he's defiled. There's no that dog cannot have a relationship with the people he loves. Now, a pastor he still loved the dog, but right now in that position, that that dog couldn't have any relationship with him until that dog got cleaned up. Okay, so in the same way, God loves us, but yet his. The, our righteousness or our, our sin which and negative righteousness, all that, let's just say, how do you call it, the gag reflexes. Brings up the, his, uh, God has divine gag reflexes. He can't, he can't stand to, to be in our presence. So what, the mediator is the one that steps up. And the, the mediator represents both parties. The mediator as, and the mediator is Jesus. As man, he can represent us to God. And as God, he can represent God to man. To bring that representation together in heaven. And that's what he's doing in heaven. That, um, he can, go ahead and give me my board back there. Okay. So, and that's what God is doing in heaven. He continually is bringing the relationship. He continually is mediating between God, and when our prayers go up, it goes through Christ. Our works are through Christ. Everything that we are are through Christ and because of our relationship with Him. So, but now, verse 6, but now He has obtained a more excellent ministry by as much as He is also a mediator of a better covenant. Something better to come. As I come up to the last part of this, There is the old covenant that God made with man. Let's let's go back. If you have your Bibles, let's go back to Exodus 19. We'll just have that ready. And it's it's curious because I had this I had my notes I had my notes down before um, before we had our morning class with Bob Bob went over this and that was that was pretty cool. But the people of Israel, the Israelites, made a big mistake. They made a huge mistake that they. First of all, we're talking about a covenant people, covenant under Abraham. 
covered under a unconditional covenant. You see, we never one thing we never want to do is we never want to raise up our good intentions. And we never want to raise up our our sincerity as being something that's appropriate for God, something that God is going to accept. And this is the mistake that the Israelites made. Because they said when 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 they're getting ready to go out to see the Lord, to see the Lord God, let's let's read that. Let me find it in here. Um, let's start with nineteen one. In the third month after the sons of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that very day they came to the wilderness of Sinai. When they set out from uh, Raphidim, they came to the wilderness of Sinai and camped in the wilderness. And there Israel camped in front of the mountain. Moses went up to God and the Lord called to him uh, from the mountain saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the sons of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my commandments, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples of all the earth. This should send up a red flag. There should be some question here. What do you mean if? Are we? Uh, you, there was no if clause in the Abrahamic covenant, and now there's an if clause. Now let's look at this. You see, right now the people should know themselves very well. They've got a lot of garbage still filled up within their hearts. They are still defiled. They, these people are adulterers. They came out. They, they, they are still. They've come out of Egypt, but they still got a lot of Egypt in them. Like any one of us, think about this. And any one of us, when we accept the Lord Jesus Christ in their hearts, we may be very motivated to serve the Lord. And we may be very motivated to live the straight and narrow. Now, from anybody, what's the chances of you? You've, you've grown up, you've been defiled, you've... You've, you've, you've got a lot of garbage in your heart. What's the chances of you obeying the Lord? What's the chances? I mean, perfectly. You, there's, I'm going to say, probably zero. Remember that we don't have... Remember that the Lord did not give us a new heart. He redeemed us. And some people grow up and uh, they've been sexually assaulted throughout their, their lives. They've gone through through bad environments. They, they've, you can't imagine what they've gone through. Some of them have come out of bad religions, satanic. There are those saved out of satanic um, cults. Do you think at the point that they got saved that they're going to be straight and narrow? No. This is these people right here. It says if you do God says if you do this and this and this and this, what do you think the chances are are for the Israelites to say, Oh, okay, great. They should be at this point 
begging for the mercy and seeking the grace of God, knowing that what they're going to receive is going to be rough. Look at verse 6. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and holy nation. Those are words that you shall speak. or These are the words that you should speak to those sons of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of people and set before them all these words which the Lord commanded him. Look at this. Here, here is the tripwire. All the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord. You see, I don't wake up in the morning with a fog conclusion that I'm going to sin that day. But I do recognize that there's a lot of tripwires out there. And I'm not looking for the law. A law that I can A, B, C, and D that I can follow. And law that and all that because what what it's going to do is going to provide these are going to be pitfalls for me. And the Lord didn't set it up like this. And you see, the Lord did not set the law up to redeem a people, but to demonstrate that they needed something else from God. Not the law. But he set this up that people needed the grace of God. The mercy of God. Because you can lay it all out before Him. And not only did they get the Ten Commandments, but they got all together 613 mandates from God. How many of these were capital offenses? If they did this, then they would die. If they did this, then they would die. You see, it was all a demonstration of the fact that they could not keep the law. They could not keep it. They could not. There was no one. There was except for one, and that was the Lord Jesus Christ. He was the one who fulfilled the covenant to, to fulfill the contract. So, and I say this as we're coming into speaking of the covenant. This old covenant has, has, has been replaced. It's being done away with. It's no longer the commandments of God. It's no longer the 613. They only demonstrate that man is a sinner and needs the right representation in heaven. Man on earth could not, and the priests, they were all imperfect. The, the tabernacle on this earth was imperfect to save anyone. The priests were imperfect to save anyone. But they, nonetheless, they were in operation all the way up until Jesus went to heaven to represent us and to represent us in heaven. We, we don't need a law. The people said we can, we need a law to follow the Lord. Uh-uh. We need grace. And we need mercy. And you see, it's the grace of God, Peter says, to grow in grace in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Grow in grace. Don't grow in the law. Your sincerity and your good intentions, they may get you so far. 
but they're not going to get you into a relationship with the Lord. Because we, uh, Paul says that, uh, is it Paul or John? It says that we all have sinned. We all continue to sin and come short of the glory of God. It is not the law that we need. It is the grace that we need. And by grace, our sins are taken care of. And as I've often said, that grace demands a response. And our love for God, and because of His grace, because of His mercy, because He loved us, when we are at our worst, we respond back that our lives may take on a different a different um, perspective. There are those people that treated me with grace in my life. That made me appreciate them so much more than I did before. And God has graced us all out. And while we were yet sinners, He died for us. And now, He is in heaven and a better tabernacle, the best tabernacle. Not the old ways, but new. And because of that new, the old is done away with. That brings us into the most solemn phase of our worship service, which is the Lord's table. And coming together and worshiping in His Word to minister to minister in ministry the works our prayers the things that we do in this life our fellowship together the point to all of this is who and what Christ is We are, as a church, we are not, we are just not a, what do you call it, mutual admiration society. We're all good people, all getting together, moral people, we help each other out, we, we pray for each other, we do all that, and all that's fine, and all that's what we do. But we must never lose the why of why we do come together. And that is the worship of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And it has to do with memory. There's a lot of things that we can remember from or that we can take from our study of Israelology. The fact that these people that, that these people redeemed people, that they were brought out of of Egypt. Let's take the Passover for instance. After the nine plagues that came upon Egypt, and Moses or Pharaoh was stiff-necked and said, "No, uh, you know, he was hard-hearted. He wasn't going to let those people out." He said that the Lord told Moses, "One more plague." 
and he's going to let the people go. He's going to, it's going to be basically Pharaoh's desperation. He's going to even get pressure from his people saying, we can't take this anymore. And it was the death of the firstborn. The instructions were simple. But they had to be executed perfectly. On the tenth day of Nisan, the month of Nisan, they were to take in a lamb. That lamb had to be spot with spotless, without blemish. Couldn't be a broken animal. It couldn't be a bad animal. But they had to carefully pick a good animal. They brought that lamb into the home for four days. In that four days, it became a pet. It became, maybe the kids even named it animal. It slept with them. It, it was there, everything, but it remained in that house for four days. And then, on the 14th day, four days later, that lamb was taken out of the house. And it was sacrificed. It, its throat was cut. The carotid artery on its on that animal's throat was cut, and the blood it bled out. It took the blood. The instruction said that they take the blood and paint the on the top of the doorpost and on the side. And they were to go into the house, and they were careful not to break any of that lamb's bones when they go into the house. And they were to eat. They were to boil it, and they were to eat it. That lamb. With bitter herbs. They were also instructions that they were to be girded up with staff in hand, which means that they were they were to be at a moment's notice ready to leave Egypt, to leave this world. So that night when they follow these instructions, the death angel flew over the houses. And there was a death in every family. There was a death in every household. It was either the death of the firstborn, the firstborn son. And there was no, there was no, um, difference made from whether you were poor, whether you were rich, whether you were royalty, whether you were a peasant, it didn't matter. From the peasant from the peasant to the Pharaoh's house, there was a death in every household. It was either the firstborn or it was the sacrificial lamb. That was the Passover. It was then that it was a picture of redemption. It was a picture of being of belief. It was a picture of faith. And the, and then they were released. They were they were not only released, they were driven out of Egypt. They were not only saved from something, which was Egypt, the world, but they were saved to something, 
which they were to go to the land flowing with milk and honey, the promised land. And they were to make a, this was to happen every year from that point and to this very day, the Passover takes place around the April, March time frame. That which I believe it's the first, or I believe it's on the full moon of, of that, that month. But every year they would look back and it was a memorial. It was to remember their freedom. What they were released. They were released uh, from. They were released from this world. They were, they found their freedom. It was their independent celebration and they would remember it every day. We're pretty excited. Uh, there's some people were pretty excited when they were first saved. Some people grew up grew up in a in a um, Christian family, and they may not remember the day that they actually accepted Christ as Savior. Some of us can. I remember when I accepted Christ as Savior, and it's exciting. Old things, those who are in Christ, old things have passed away. New things have come. There is there is an excitement when you first when you hear the gospel message and you say, I am trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. And and it is the Holy Spirit that comes in that lifts up the heart that that that, that you are now a son of God. He testifies to that. And you know that old things have passed away. The the, the sins of your life have been blotted out. There's there's no more that sin and you, you you've got a clean slate. And crisis and and being that believer, you be, there's so much is done for your life. And we're pretty excited about that. Now we must remember, just like the the Israelites had to remember, had to have this year after year. So do we must remember. But it's not a lamb and it's not the Passover that we're remembering in that sense. But we're remembering the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. You see these rituals, these the, the rituals throughout the Old Testament did nothing to get any of us saved. All those animals that were ever sacrificed was only at best temporary. But they never satisfied the Lord, our Father, the Judge. But when Christ came into this world, He said, the blood of bulls and goats you are not satisfied with, but a body you have prepared for Me to do Your will. And it's the bread that represents the body of Christ. And by taking the bread, and it is, it is sustenance. And it's not by our works. When we take the bread and cup, the bread representing the body of Christ, that was given up to us, the perfect body without spot and without blemish, the perfect lamb, the, the blood, that represents the life of Christ that has been poured out for the forgiveness of many. The blood that was taken into the real tabernacle of heaven and was accepted by 
the Lord. And that when I say blood, I mean the figurative, the life of Christ. See, our spiritual life isn't predicated on doing and being blessed. Our, our Christian life began with maximum blessing. That we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places because of the work of Christ upon the cross. It's all by grace. We didn't, we didn't check boxes. We didn't, we didn't get our lives squared away. But then to remember what was done on our behalf. Grace demands a response. And as we take the bread and cup, as we do so, it is the Lord that says, do this in remembrance of me. Let us pray. As we take time today, Heavenly Father, to remember what was done on our behalf by grace. Let us remember, Father. Back to the time when some of us can. On the day that we went from being a child of Adam, son of disobedience, to coming into a relationship with Thee. Let it be, Heavenly Father, that we spend time, a few moments this morning, Thinking back on the principles that we learn. We are a Bible church. We learn these things through our study, being students of the Word of God. But it's also things that we must meditate on. Now we ask, Heavenly Father, that the Holy Spirit will enlighten us and bring to mind the important doctrines related to our so great salvation relate to the bread and to the cup. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. It was the bread that represented... And when we take the bread and when we take the cup, it's non-meritorious. When you eat, we're not merited at all. There's no merit. We take bread, we chew it up, and we swallow it, and it becomes sustenance for our body. When we drink, same thing. We drink, we take it in, it becomes sustenance for our body. It's not meritorious. So is our spiritual life. When we take of the bread, which is Christ, His body, it's, it's nothing that we do. It's nothing that brings merit to us. But it's everything that Christ did. Same thing with His blood. While we were yet sinners, we brought nothing to the table. Except faith. So as we take, as we distribute this bread this morning, let us concentrate on the thing that it, it was the, the body of Christ, like that lamb. It, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. It is that He provides sustenance for our, our lives. Alright, so let's, um, as we distribute the bread,
We'll hold on to the bread until all have been served. And then um, think, think of these things. Therefore, when he comes, says Hebrews 10, sacrifice and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. And whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come in a scroll to do your will. And Matthew 26, during the Last Supper, he had taken the bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples. He said, This my body take and eat. Throughout the Old very early in the Bible, both in Leviticus and in Genesis, tells us that the blood of the or the life of the animal is within its blood. And animals as a picture were perfectly innocent. They didn't commit no sin. But yet they died and in, in order to demonstrate the fact that the innocent had to die for the guilty. See, God could not just arbitrarily forgive us. He couldn't just say, well, you know, I know you didn't mean it, and I know by nature you're, you're a good man, you're a good woman. There had to be, a crime was committed, and it had to be also a crime had to be, or justice had to be given. And remember that the... Wages of sin is death. Jesus was not only humanity, but he was perfect humanity. 
He had no spot. He had no blemish. He had no sin that he had to pay for himself. So therefore, that perfect human being, and he was true humanity, gave his own life up in order to pay for our sins. When darkness fell over Golgotha at noontime, and he and man did everything up to that point to as way of torture to man and demon like he had no one had ever suffered as badly and as our Lord did, but he was perfect. We can suffer for things that we did ourselves. And we can look at ourselves and say, oh, that's my fault. But Jesus could not say that. He was perfect. He did not deserve anything that he received. But he did it on our account. When we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And he had to die. And he tasted death. He tasted death on the cross. He tasted separation from his Father. He's, he, 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 he suffered physical or spiritual death, physical death, the separation from the body, from the the soul from the body. He suffered. He went into Hades. He suffered. He tasted eternal death for us, being perfectly innocent that we might trust in Him and believe in Him. All of it was grace. None of it was on our behalf. Again, while while we were yet sinners who defiled Him, He died for us. And by remembering this, it should bring us to the point where we love God. How how, How do we know that we love God? When we obey His commandments. And why do we do so? Because He first loved us. So as we distribute the cup, let's all remember these principles.
Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver and gold from your fuel, we have life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. For he has foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last days for the sake of you. And Jesus said in the upper room to his disciples as he blessed the cup and he gave it to his disciples. He said, drink all of it. For I will not drink the fruit of the vine again until I drink it again with you anew in the kingdom. That's the protection. Our closing hymn this morning will be When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. Let us stand and remain standing for closing prayer.
we find ourselves times sin slipping away. But your faithfulness, your Son continues to intercede for us as He sits at your right hand. He continues to refute the accusations of Satan and continues to exhibit A, his hands, his feet, Aside the wounds that he certainly did die for us. And by believing and trusting in him, we do have eternal life that we are so grateful for. We serve thee and we praise thee and we seek to walk in your ways, not because to be blessed, but because we've already been blessed. And we can be assured that one day we will be absent from the body and face to face with thee. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless and great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority for all time and now and forevermore. And all of God's people said, Amen. Yeah.